Hello, friends. I'm so glad you found me here at the Steward Project Podcast, but we have to start each episode with a little bit of a disclaimer. Because this podcast is focused on the intersections of service, social justice, spirituality, and self-care, please know that we will talk about some challenging topics, some things that might be uncomfortable, or some things that might trigger us. So I just want you to come into this space fully aware I also want to be very clear that I occasionally drop an F-bomb or two. So if you have young children nearby, maybe use your earplugs or make sure that they know that the person you're listening to is just really, really passionate. Here we go. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Steward Project podcast. I'm so glad you found me here, and I'm so glad you came back. This is episode one, and this is April 2018. I mentioned the month because as a good social worker, I am always aware of our awareness months. <laughs> Every month there is a some kind of awareness to bring attention to a, a challenge in the community or a challenge in the world. And April happens to be Child Abuse Awareness Month and Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And for me, those are the two things that really brought me into this world of social work and social justice and spirituality and service. So I want to share with you a little bit about who I am, how I come to this work, and how I would love for us to work together and share this space together. So I have to start, I guess, where, well, I don't know where to start. Um, I had a phenomenal childhood. I have parents who adore me and family members who really were wonderful about showing me unconditional love. So I started with a really solid base of support and care and attachment. Um, that said, I also do have an ACE, an Adverse Childhood Experience. And for those of you who don't know what the ACEs are, we will definitely have a podcast just on the ACEs because it's really that amazing. But Adverse Childhood Experiences are things that you might imagine that would be traumatizing to a child and impact development. For me, that Adverse Childhood Experience was a sexual abuse. Um, but because my family was so loving and caring and I had solid attachments, my family was able to come in and really support me through that um, and kind of minimize the trauma, to be honest. And it wasn't until I was in high school that I really began to realize that other kids were also dealing with the same thing I had dealt with, but they didn't have a loving, caring family to support them through that. Not only that, but that sometimes the parents themselves were the perpetrators. And when I realized that, it really blew my heart open and kind of brought this awareness to me and to my body and to my life. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something about it because I couldn't wrap my brain around how a parent could harm a child. So you can imagine this obviously brings me into the child abuse work. Um, after college, I graduated with a communication degree as an undergrad. And I went to live with my Aunt Carrie, who I absolutely adore. Um, and that was the alternative to moving home, which of course was like, oh, I'm not moving home, but I'll go live with my aunt because <laughs> it's that much different, right? So I went to live with my aunt in Columbus, Ohio, and she was doing communication for an organization called CASA, C-A-S-A, which stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. And for those of you who don't know what CASA is, it is an organization, it's nationwide. There's one in every city. There's probably one near you that trains advocates or trains lay people, anybody who's over 18, to advocate for foster youth in the dependency system. 
So I started interning with them just to do communication. I was doing their newsletter. I was updating the website. This is when websites were fairly new. For those of you who don't <laughs> remember a time before the internet. Um, and I was also asked to help them with their volunteer training, which meant that I was reaching out to people in the community, people at other organizations and agencies to help to have them come in and train our volunteers to help them understand what child abuse is, to help them understand the court process, help them understand the difference between dependency and delinquency, um, and just give them a solid base of information, about 40 hours of training, so that they could then advocate for foster youth. I absolutely loved it. And I got to see firsthand, really, how foster care works. Um, I got to sit in the courtroom and really listen to the social workers and the attorneys. I got to hear from parents and children um, and understanding how complicated this child welfare work can be. But I fell in love with it. And specifically, something happened around that time that kind of made me decide I wanted to be a social worker. And that was that there was a social worker in our county, and this is Franklin County in, in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, um, where a social worker was murdered at a home visit. And in hearing who she was and her story, she had already done a full career as a teacher. I believe it was 20 plus years as a teacher. And she retired as a teacher and then went to get her MSW and became a social worker because what she, when she was a teacher, she had seen some child abuse and she had had to make CPS reports and she wanted to be the person who could really help a child. And when I found that out, right, this woman had already had a full career. She could have retired and not done a single other thing, but she chose to put herself through, through school to get her master's degree and then to serve kids in another, another capacity as another job. And then she was murdered at a home visit. And it was devastating for our community. It really reverberated throughout the courthouse and throughout our organization and throughout the whole county. Um, it caused a very big scare, not unlike what we're seeing with the school shootings, where all the social workers were immediately saying, well, how do we do home visits safely? You know, can we take firearm? Can we take mace? What can we do? Can we go in pairs? Um, and I just remember it being a very scary time. But what I also remembered was this woman's commitment and her story. And I just thought to myself, wow, you know, she gets it. She was so passionate. And I, I decided that I wanted to be a, a social worker as well. So I applied to a few social work schools and got into a few, and I chose to attend UConn, the University of Connecticut School of Social Work in West Hartford, Connecticut. Um, so obviously I had to move from Ohio to Connecticut, which was one of, a, 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 one of my first big moves. Um, and while I was getting my MSW program, um, and I'm excited to talk with um, potential future and, and current long-term social workers in this podcast, but... Um, I got my MSW, it's a two-year program, and I did it in administration and child welfare. So I was really learning about you know, how to develop a board of directors, how to create a nonprofit, how to write grants to fund your organization, um, and then also classes on group work and casework and, and things like that. Um, I had some really amazing internships through my social work program. Um, I had internships in safe homes, in residential facilities, um, in not really group homes, but working with group home networks. Um, and also did a really interesting um, internship where we reviewed the, the files of sex offenders. And the purpose of the internship was to really pull information from convicted sex offenders 
and use that information to create a prevention program for parents and kids. So basically saying, okay, perpetrators, how are you doing this? <laughs> how are you manipulating families and kids? And then using that information to provide a way to um, give information to parents. I This was my first contact with vicarious trauma. And for those of you who haven't heard that word, there will definitely be a podcast on vicarious trauma. Um, but it's absorbing the trauma of the work that we do, right? When you're reading about trauma and you're listening to trauma and you're in the middle of a crisis of trauma, you begin to absorb the physiological impacts of that trauma in the same way that the person who's surviving the trauma directly is. And it wasn't until, so I was doing this internship with another student and we would go, I think it was twice a week, we would go to this facility in a kind of not so well lit room and read through case file after case file after case file and take notes. Um, and it wasn't, I think it was like the second or third week in, I got to the facility and this other girl wasn't there. So I called her to say, hey, you know, I, th I thought we were here today. Maybe I had the date wrong, but, you know, are you coming? And her response was, no, I'm not coming ever again. <laughs> and I hadn't realized how triggering it must have been to be reading the files of pedophiles and not have any kind of support. So I went back to our professor who had given us the internship and just mentioned it to her. And she was devastated because she also didn't realize you know, she'd been doing the work for a long time. And she said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry I didn't prepare you all for what you were going to be observing and listening to and, and writing. So that was my first awareness of vicarious trauma, but also thinking about being more trauma-informed when we do our work, right? So if I were that professor, and I'm sure this professor did this after this incident, but really understanding, like, what am I asking my workers to do and how am I going to support them through that work? Yeah. And this is that system level um, vicarious trauma support. So we'll definitely get into that as we flow through this steward project. Um, but I really enjoyed my internships. And one of my um, final kind of internships through my MSW program was helping to um, create a kind of a task, a community task force for domestic violence and sexual assault. And while I was there, I met a representative from CONSACS, which is the Connecticut Sexual Assault Crisis Services, and they offered me a job out of school. So I became their grant monitor. Again, remember my social work degree was in administration, so um, writing grants for a nonprofit that does social work work was completely aligned with my MSW. So um, CONSACS is the statewide um, organization for sexual assault prevention and sexual assault crisis services. So they run all of the rape crisis centers throughout the state. And many states have um, a similar organization that runs all of the rape crisis centers or and or all of the domestic violence centers in the state. So, and Connecticut's a fairly small state. So we were able to really kind of get from one end of the state to the other. And I loved writing grants. I was writing the VAWA grants, the Violence Against Women Act grants. I was writing um, victim witness grants and victim services grants. I was writing small local grants from community partners and, and agencies and really being able to contribute to the work and allow the social workers that I was serving um, to do really good work and provide programs to survivors. Obviously, during this time, I became a rape crisis counselor myself. Um, I did a few hotline call. You know, I was on the hotline doing ho hospital visits, doing follow-up, um, did a little bit of group support with young kids, young survivors, ages three to eight. 
um, and some stuff on college campuses. So it was a really um, full experience. And I really, really loved the people I was working with. But again, coming back to that vicarious trauma, I worked there for about three and a half, almost four years. And in that time, I began to absorb a lot of trauma and I didn't necessarily know it. And that's the trick of vicarious trauma. You don't always recognize it until it almost like punches you in the face. <laughs> um, and I've had three major burnouts and they've all kind of smacked me in a way that I wasn't aware I wasn't paying attention. I actually am going to do a podcast to just titled My Three Burnouts. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit about burnout and how magnificent they can be <laughs> and also how we can prevent them or, you know, mediate them. So I hadn't realized that, you know, when you're working with a, a really challenging concept all day long, it gets into your consciousness and everything kind of becomes that thing. So as you can imagine, dealing with sexual assault all day, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week becomes overwhelming. Um, and for me, I didn't notice it until I became aware that I, I couldn't see a father and a daughter walking together without assuming there was sexual abuse. And that for me just bothered me. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to have my worldview shifted like that. So um, I actually had an opportunity to shift away from rape crisis work when um, my wonderful husband finished his PhD and we both moved to California. Another big move. <laughs> so moving from Ohio to Connecticut to California. And when we were in California, I my husband <laughs> asked me very lovingly to get a job doing anything but sexual assault prevention. <laughs> Understandably, right? I mean, he had been the one kind of seeing the, the impacts on me and, and bearing the brunt of that. So um, I obeyed his wishes. <laughs> Obey is the wrong word. We, that's not something I use with my husband, but um, I really understood what he meant. So I, I was able to say, yes, you're right. Okay, let me look for a different job. And I decided that there was probably a lot less trauma in education so why not get into public schools? <laughs> so those of you who are in education and are listening to this right now, you're laughing with me, right? Like, ha, 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 jokes on you. Because what I realized was there's plenty of trauma in public education. Oh, my goodness. And again, obviously, right? Because we're working with people and people deal with things, you know, people, especially when you're dealing with children who are potentially dealing with ACEs currently, right? They're having adverse childhood experiences as you're working with them. Um, so I found my way into public education. I actually, again, went back to my communication degree and I got a position as a public information officer. PIO is the term for it. But I, so I was doing communication for a very large school district in the Bay Area. Um, I loved it. I was communicating, you know, again, doing newsletters, doing websites. Um, I was on the safety committee, that kind of stuff. And then we had some deaths of students and the people I was working with recognized that I had a trauma background and a social work background. So I was asked often to go to schools and help young people with bereavement. Um, I remember there was a death of a teacher at one school. So I went and helped support the parents from the PTA and the, and the other teachers on campus as well as the students. And then there was another incident where a student's parent passed away. Um, so I went and helped with that student in their classroom. And then yet another, um, another, situation where a student had passed from cancer. So I had an opportunity to go and do some grief work with that that classroom. And I really enjoyed it. So, um, and this was around the recession time. So positions were being cut. 
Um, I did get a pink slip for my PIO position because they wanted to cut furthest from the classroom. And yes, as a communication person, I was probably the furthest from the classroom. So I understood the cut. I understood why. Um, and they then shifted. They basically asked me, can you do social work? Can we hire you back as a behavioral intervention specialist? So I did that for about another year or two. Um, in that time, I got to work with middle, uh, sorry, elementary school students shifting to middle school. So to help them with that transition. And I w mostly worked with boys. And I have to tell you, <laughs> working with 12-year-old boys is so much fun. <laughs> I was usually working with girls. So when they asked me to work with this group of boys, I was like, eh, I don't know. You know, I have better rapport with girls. That's what I'm used to. But these boys were funny. They were hilarious. I also realized when you're working with 12-year-old boys, you have to allow a good 10 to 15 minutes of giggles and farts. I mean, like, you know, one kid would fart and they would just dissolve into giggles and I could not get anything done. <laughs> so, you know, curriculum planning with 12-year-olds is you got you to gotta leave some room for fart jokes. <laughs> but I truly enjoyed that. And I got to see some successes for kids who were struggling in, middle, in elementary school and got to middle school really strong and confident and resourced. So um, I moved from that school district to another school district where I was doing kind of assessment stuff. So I was helping with testing and things like that. But again, that position shifted and I was asked to do more social work. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I did that for about two or three years at this other district. And now I'm per currently at a third school district doing specifically social work and family engagement. Um, I work with our foster youth and our homeless youth. So I'm the foster youth liaison and what we call the McKinney-Vento liaison. Um, McKinney-Vento is a federal act that helps support homeless kids in public schools. I could do a whole episode on that one too. Um, and I love this work. I um, have two offices. They're both really small closets <laughs> um, where I get to work with students at the high school and I get to be at the district level doing um, work with all of our, our parents and students. I also in this time have become a certified yoga instructor and I did that myself as my own self-care practice. Um, again, doing this work and working with populations that are traumatized wears on us. And I, I needed to find a way to discharge a lot of that toxic stress. And for me, yoga and mindfulness became that way. Meditation is something I'm still getting into and I'm still learning about. Um, but those three modalities, yoga, mindfulness, and meditation have really carried me and held me through a lot of this work. And I, I kind of passed over a few things, but in the time I've been in California, um, I've also begun working with Art of Yoga Project, um, offering yoga and mindfulness to girls who are incarcerated. Um, I've worked with our CSEC population, which is our commercially and sexually exploited children or youth. Um, our sex trafficked youth is what kind of what that is. I have become a CASA again. I became a CASA about 10 years ago um, and to three amazing foster kids who then became my own foster kids. So I've become a foster parent, which I adore. Um, and for those of you who know me, you also know I'm actually technically a foster grandparent. <laughs> Two of my kids who are in their 20s now have little ones. And um, default, I'm a grandma. Um, <laughs> you know, I always joke there's a bumper sticker that says, if I had known how much fun grandkids were, I would have had them first. And technically, I get to do that. <laughs> 
Um, I'll definitely have another episode on foster care and how to get into it and what it really looks like um, from the inside because it is its own animal. Um, so here I am today. I am teaching yoga. I am doing trauma-informed trainings. I'm doing professional development for, for public education, for counselors, for school districts, for probation and police and social workers. Um, I do presentations on radical self-care. I do presentations on understanding trauma, really understanding the neurobiology of trauma, and presentations on um, kind of what can we do to make our organization, our agency, our system trauma-informed. So you are going to get all of my experience from the last 20 years wrapped into nice, juicy little podcast packages. <laughs> and I would love to hear from you. What are you interested in knowing from me? Now that you know a little bit about me, I'd love to hear what you want me to share. Um, obviously, I have some episodes in mind, and I will be giving as much information as I can about all the different topics I mentioned in this podcast. And there will be more. Um, I hope, again, that this space will be one where we can come together and build community and really hear each other, support each other, and understand, like, how do we do this change-making work? You know, we're all helpers, we're all healers, and we are change-makers, but how do we continue to do this work day after day, month after month, year after year, when we don't see the change immediately that we want to see, right? I mean, even working with a young child one-on-one, -on -one, I may not see any change for that child, even if I'm working with them year after year after year, for like four, four or five years, right? It may not be till they're in high school that I see, oh yeah, that work we did four years ago really worked for this kid. And that's the challenge of this helping, healing, and change-making work. We don't get the immediate outputs from what we put in, and that makes it really challenging for us to stay focused in the work, stay uplifted in the work, and not to feel that hopelessness that kind of creeps in and, and, and evades us, right? Um, so I am so excited that you guys are joining me on this podcast journey. I'm excited to share information. I'm definitely excited to bring other people here to share with you as well. And I am so looking forward to building this community together. So please leave a review. Please share this information or this podcast with your friends and family. Please subscribe in all of the places that you can get podcasts. And I would really appreciate hearing from you. What do you want this space to be? What do you need from me? What do you need from us? How can we work together? It has been so much fun doing this, and I'm really looking forward to many more opportunities to talk with you all and connect and create this community. Thank you so much for listening to the Steward Project podcast and sharing this space with me. Remembering that how we show up in the world matters, we're all in this together, and we belong to each other. Until next time.